Welcome back to Boilers and Beyond. I'm Jordan Jones. The Boilermakers suffered a frustrating defeat on Saturday afternoon in Evanston, falling to 3-8 on the season with just one game to play. We'll break down the happenings from the loss here on the show today before answering your questions about the Purdue football program, of which there are many, plus an early thought on the old Oaken Bucket game, and some final thoughts before basketball tips off a huge week in the Maui Invitational tomorrow evening. Real quick, if you don't already, be sure to follow the show on Twitter, at Boilers Beyond. Going to be a lot to talk about. Three basketball games coming up this week. Of course, the old Oaken Bucket game. And then after the Bucket game, we're a week away from transfer portal season. So there's going to be a lot to talk about. You're going to want to be sure you're following along on Twitter, at Boilers Beyond, and you can always send over questions for the podcast there. Uh, DM them to me, tweet them to me, or you can email the show, boilersandbeyondpod at gmail.com. Also, again, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I will do a post-Maui Invitational podcast Wednesday night, Thursday morning, sometime in there. Uh, We'll get something out as well as looking at the bucket game in a little bit more detail, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss that. But let's get on into football from yesterday. Northwestern 23, Purdue 15. A weird day. You know, the day started out with a bang as a couple hours before kickoff, about 9.30. Tom Dean Hart over at Golden Black reported that Purdue would be without both Hudson Card and Nick Scorton. A card, a rib injury he suffered against Minnesota, Scorton, undisclosed ailment, Um, you know, that really immediately turned the game from one where I thought Purdue should probably win to a game that Purdue would be pretty fortunate to get out there with a win. Uh, That's just the way I viewed it. You know, Purdue went with a two-quarterback system in Bennett Meredith and Ryan Brown, something that I think was probably a good call. Um, You know, you want to know what you have. And I had tweeted this out before the game. If you're Purdue, you want to know what you have at as many spots as possible going into this transfer portal cycle. Now, if quarterback's a problem, it's hard to get good quarterbacks to be interested in your program when you have a clear, defined starter for next year in Hudson Card. But nonetheless, you want to know what you have in these guys Meredith, very little experience. What, he played a series against Nebraska and a series or two against Ohio State in garbage time? There wasn't a lot there. Ryan Brown, a true freshman, zero experience to speak of. You know, I guess I'll start there. Uh, I I didn't expect a whole lot from either guy. You know, I, I don't know what the details were of when Purdue knew that Hudson Card couldn't go, Ryan Walters had said that, you know, it was Thursday that they knew that he couldn't go. So how much of this week did Purdue spend getting these guys first team reps compared to thinking that Card could give it a go? I don't know. That combined with very little experience to speak of, it makes it really hard to expect big things from either quarterback. I thought Ryan Brown looked better than Bennett Meredith. Uh, that isn't exactly how I thought it would go, but I, I, Brown ran the ball pretty well. I didn't realize it till I looked at the stats after the game, but my God, he ran the ball 21 times. 
that really jumped off the page to me. I I knew he ran it a lot in real time. I didn't realize he ran it 21 times. He looked comfortable out there. Yes, he had a couple of interceptions, both of which were bad decisions. The one out of the end zone at the end of the first half was really inexcusable. Purdue got really, really lucky that that didn't cost him points. And the one on the last drive, you know, he didn't see the linebacker. So be it. Purdue probably wasn't going to score there anyways, if we're being honest. I Expectations were low, to say the least, on that drive. And you would have had to get a two-point conversion as well. You already got one. The numbers tell you going two for two on those, not incredibly likely. But, you know, outside of those two picks, Ryan Brown completed 12 of 14. He wasn't bad. It was limited. You know, he only averaged five air yards per attempt. 2.6 for Bennett Meredith. Purdue's game plan here was already going to be to run the ball a lot. Purdue finished this game having run the ball 51 times, 54 times, excuse me, 54 rushing attempts for 303 yards. That was very indicative of Purdue's game plan. But also, I think right off the bat, What you saw from Purdue's offensive line really limited what Purdue was willing to do in the passing game. Muhammad Musa came back from his injury. He was questionable. He ended up suiting up and getting out there. He didn't start. Purdue started off with Daniel Johnson at left tackle, Josh Kaltenberger at right tackle. Really early on, it was obvious that Purdue's offensive line was struggling in pass protection. First drive of the game, third down, Bennett Meredith gets hit right away. Had no chance on a drop back. And then a series or two later, Ryan Brown gets strip sacked. When you have two sacks on like your first four or five drop backs, it makes you really, really hesitant to call a whole lot of pass plays that are going to stretch the field, that require more than just a quick get the ball out. Again, I don't think Purdue was planning to throw the ball a ton, but that probably limited even further. I'm interested to see what Brown turns into, though. You know, I it, again, it's hard to get too much out of yesterday's result because, I mean, 12 for 16, 104 yards, two picks. You know, that's not exactly slinging the ball around. But, you know, remember, he was a guy who was a late addition to that recruiting class by Jeff Brom. Kind of came out of nowhere. But... All indications are he's been performing well in practice. We'll see what he turns into. I thought it was quite telling, though. You know, the last couple drives of the game when Purdue was trying to get back in this thing, it was Ryan Brown out there instead of Bennett Meredith. It was the younger quarterback who's, you know, who hadn't played all year. Um, But nonetheless, you know, Purdue's passing game was really, really limited. 140 yards through the air. 17 of 23, 74% completion, solid, but again, that that was what it was designed to do. A lot of short passes, not a whole lot going on there. Uh, you had a flea flicker, you had a seam route to Devin Maccabee. Outside of those two plays, Purdue didn't really push the ball downfield all day, uh, besides the interception at the end of the first half. I give a lot of credit to Purdue's running backs. They played hard all day long. Tyrone Tracy was awesome in this game. Uh, You hope that injury late 
on Purdue's last drive isn't anything serious, he deserves to get the chance to go out, play one last game at ross next week. He's been awesome for Purdue this year. I know I say it about every week, but it's it's a shame he spent so much of his college career playing wide receiver because running back is clearly a much better fit for him. That's where his strengths are. He's got good vision with the ball. He's he's a really good running back. I'm curious to see if he can you know, either get picked super late in the draft or sign on as a UDFA and see where things go because he's been really good this year. 198 yards of offense, average 10 yards per carry. Now, when you have a 62-yard run, that helps inflate the average, but he was really, really good for Purdue. Uh, he was Purdue's leading receiver as well. Uh, well, excuse me, for second leading receiver. Uh, he had four catches tied for the team lead. Really good day for him. Maccabee ran hard all day as well. Uh, he you know, got in the end zone for a touchdown, caught that seam route. That was a great catch for a running back. You don't see that often. Running backs going up the middle of the field and catching the ball in traffic like that. Really nice catch by him there. Uh, certainly hasn't been the season that Devin Maccabee had hoped for, but he had a nice game on Saturday, I thought. Got to give those guys credit because the offensive line, you know, it, better in run blocking than pass protection, but it's still not like it was, you know, pushing the Northwestern defensive line five yards down the field. It wasn't doing that. Uh, Purdue's running backs had to be pretty good, and they were. They were very good. Back-to-back uh, -back weeks running the ball over 300 yards for Purdue. I could not even begin to think of the last time that happened. And, you know, Purdue ran the ball 40 times last week, 50 times this week. I cannot imagine the last time Purdue did that either. Uh, really interesting stuff. Uh, you know, very different games because Hudson Card changes things quite a bit. But interesting to see Purdue have some success running the ball because that's not something we've seen from Purdue in recent years. I thought the defense did all it could. Northwestern went right down and scored on the opening drive. But after that, Purdue's defense did a really nice job. Five sacks on the day. Dylan Thieneman picked off another pass. Purdue did the best it could. Um, you know, some interesting observations. Losing Scorton's a big deal. He's really, really good. But it opened up Corday Sidnor to have a big day. He's, he's a good player. He's in a tough spot because... You know, two of Purdue's three best players, and maybe its best two players, are the two guys starting over him at the outside linebacker spot. So the reps aren't necessarily there for the taking for him, but he was awesome. A uh, couple of sacks, uh, half a tackle for loss on top of that, got to the quarterback. He was really good. Uh, a great day for him. I thought it was really interesting that Zion Steptoe started at corner. That tells you where this cornerback room is. Purdue has tried to do what it can. This is a really tough defense for, you know, I don't want to put it too bluntly, but for bad corners or corners who just aren't ready to play at the Big Ten level, it's a tough defense for them to really succeed in. And, 
you know, we've seen Derek Rogers get out there as a true freshman. Botros Alessandro, a JUCO transfer, getting out there. Since Marquise Wilson got hurt, it's been Markevious Brown and then kind of a rotating cast of characters. Steptoe gets out there, a guy who started the season at wide receiver. He did his best. He got cooked a couple of times. 33-yard completion on the first uh, first drive of the game. Four completions thrown at him for 80 yards. Not great, but again, what are you going to do? You're dealing with what you know. You're dealing with the personnel you have, and Purdue tried something. Uh, it, it is what it is. Really limited snaps for Mo Amanade, but he was great. Half a sack or a sack and a half, two tackles for loss. Uh, nice day for him. West Lafayette product who was, you know, really a bit of a slept on recruit, pretty unheralded. I think Purdue is on, his only power five offer. He's been pretty solid in limited reps. I'm curious to see next year if he can become a starter, you know, become a guy who's playing instead of 10 to you know 20 snaps a game, playing 30 to 40 snaps a game on the defensive line. Because he had a good day. Another pick for Dylan Thieneman. Uh, he's Purdue's leading tackler. Again, I don't think that's necessarily a good thing that he's your leading tackler. Uh, he did have one missed tackle, but you know, outside of that, he's had an awesome year. I fully expect him to be on some of those true freshman All-American teams. He's been awesome. Uh, he's been a really, really big bright spot for Purdue this season. Got to give him a lot of credit, and he's going to have a great career at Purdue. He really is. Look, there's no other way to put it. I thought Purdue's special teams were horrible uh, on Saturday. Purdue is now 5 of 13 on field goal attempts this year. Missed a 44-yarder by Ben Freehill. Purdue doesn't have a kicker. Uh, Freehill has struggled this year. Julio Macias struggled when Freehill was out. That's an area Purdue's got to fix for next year. Jack Ansel, not a great day. Um, sent one into the end zone for a touchback. First punt of the day was really rough. Just not a good day for him. Um, and it's not been a great season for him. Return game, you had TJ Sheffield almost muff a punt in the first half. And then he does muff a punt, gives Northwestern prime field position. I don't remember. I think Northwestern scored on that drive. They started at the 20. I can't remember, but that was rough. And then Tyrone Tracy drops a kickoff return, gives Purdue bad field position. They start inside the 15-yard line. This is a problem. Uh, this is a problem. I There's no other way to put it. Purdue has to be better across the board on special teams. You look at this game as a whole, though, and a little more to come on special teams. Got some good questions that I want to get to here momentarily that are really good. Um, Purdue fought hard on Saturday. Purdue didn't quit. That's been one of the storylines of this season that I think if you're a Purdue fan, you can walk away from this year pretty happy about is that this team's played hard all year. This team has not backed down even when, you know, times are tough. Missing two of your best players, down 23-7. to seven. Purdue didn't quit. Purdue kept fighting. Um, but Purdue wasn't the better team. Uh, Purdue missed a lot of opportunities, yes. More to come on that in the Q&A. But Northwestern was probably the better team. 
Uh, Northwestern was the better coach team on Saturday. You, David Braun's been fantastic. Now the full-time coach up there. Hats off to them because that team looked dead in the water when they got just waxed in the season opener at Rutgers. Um, really struggled with Howard early on in the season. Northwestern looked horrible. And now they're 6-5. and five. They're going bowling. That's a team that went 1-11 last year, 3-9 and nine the year before that. We're good in the COVID year, which, as we know, probably not reflective of much. And in 2019, they were 3-9. and nine. So, you know, the three full seasons prior to this, Northwestern hadn't won more than three games. That's a really hard job. Um, but, you know, they're going bowling. And all the credit in the world to them. That was That was big. They close out Ryan Field with a victory in the final game up there uh, before they build that new stadium. Good for Northwestern. But for Purdue, it's time to wrap this season up against Indiana. All of the 5-7 and seven bowl speculation that was going around, that was for naught. Purdue will not be going to a bowl officially, officially now. Old Oak and Bucket game, both teams enter 3-8. and eight. Um, It feels like the old days of the Old Oak and Bucket game, shall we say. Uh, neither team entering with much to play for outside of some state pride. So I'll have a preview episode later this week. It should be a doozy. Um, can't believe Big Noon kickoff chose Michigan-Ohio State over Purdue-Indiana. I, I don't know. I don't know what they're thinking there but it's going to be a doozy inside Ross-Aid Stadium on Saturday. Some questions from you guys on Twitter. Um, we'll hit these questions, have a couple of thoughts on basketball real quick, and get out of there. But first question, why wasn't the Hudson card injury announced until the morning of the game? Look, there's nothing that requires the staff to disclose injuries until two hours before kickoff. When the Big Ten mandates that teams issue an injury report, that was something new this year. Ryan Walter said earlier this year that he wasn't really going to talk about injuries because of that injury report. Um, and for the most part, you know, he hasn't. Occasionally you'll get an update in his Monday press conferences, but he doesn't say much about it. Uh, he doesn't have to. He's not, you know, there's nothing making him disclose this. And they, the staff did a really nice job of not letting anything about Card or Scorton get out. Um, it, was, it was pretty buttoned up. It was pretty zipped up. I think there should be more advanced injury reporting. I absolutely do. I think in the modern era where gambling is such a big part of college sports, I, I think you have to start looking at better ways to report these injuries um, I think it's it's better for the fans as well. But nonetheless, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, Purdue did a nice job of keeping it buttoned up. And, you know, for the most part, that's what staffs are there to do right now. Um, that's, their, that's their goal is to not let this stuff get out. They did a good job of that. Good question from a buddy and a longtime listener. I see a lot of people giving up on the coaches already. How big of a win does Purdue need next week to reverse that? Yeah, you know, like it or not, um, and I don't think many people are really calling for Ryan Walters yet, but he's obviously not going anywhere, nor should he, unless it's a very rare circumstance. Coaches don't 
don't really even hit the hot seat in year one, and nor should he. But you know, Purdue needs a win next week to provide some optimism heading in the heading into the winter, giving fans a positive, you know, a positive nugget to end the season on. But it's not like it changes much. What's the difference between three and nine and four and eight? If you're a gambler out there, the season win total already went under five, five and a half for the numbers out in Vegas. Those both are going to go under. Purdue's not going to play in a bowl game. This is a game for pride, right? It's it's the rivalry. You want to keep the old oaken bucket. A little silver lining here, Purdue does have the chance to win both its trophy games this year. It beat Illinois to keep the cannon. Now it hopes to beat Indiana to win the bucket and keep the bucket for a third straight year. That's you know that's what you're playing for here because outside of that, this game doesn't mean much on Saturday. Um, do you anticipate any drastic changes this offseason as it pertains to the roster and or the staff? And he notes that Brom always had a short leash with coordinators. The roster, yes. I, I certainly anticipate a lot of turnover on the roster. Uh, I'm planning to do a pretty deep look at what's next for Purdue football after the bucket game. I don't know if I'll do that on Sunday or if I'll wait and do that in the midweek. Purdue basketball plays Texas Southern uh, the Monday after the bucket game, so it's not like that's going to be one to talk about too much. But yeah, I expect a ton of turnover on the roster. Walters can utilize that new coaches rule uh, up until May, I believe. I think it's your first 18 months to open up some scholarships, and I, I fully expect Purdue to do that. I think that's that's going to be something Purdue does. I think Purdue will be very, very active in the transfer market. This roster needs a huge influx of ready-to-play talent. How much of that does it have You know, behind the starters right now? I don't know. But I think you look at more position groups than not and think, man, Purdue really needs some portal help here. The staff, no. I don't. I don't think Purdue will make many changes on the staff, nor do I think it should. There won't be changes at coordinator. Obviously, on defense, Kevin Kane isn't going anywhere. He's a guy who came over from Illinois with Ryan Walters. He knows that defense. The defense has been good this year. It's Well, the defense hasn't been good, per se, but it's gotten better. It's improved. And with the limited talent it has on the back end and on the interior of the defensive line and at linebacker, only so much you can expect. Kane isn't going anywhere. Neither is Graham Harrell. Uh, I, I know a sizable portion of the fan base wants him gone. I guess there's always the chance I eat crow on this, and I'd be happy to do so if it occurs. He's owed almost $2 million if Purdue were to move on from him after this year. I just don't see that happening. I'd be shocked. I don't think it's fair to pin all of the offense's struggles on Graham Harrell. But at the same time, I don't think Purdue should do that. I don't think that would be a wise move for Ryan Walters. You can only fire so many coordinators before the, you know, before the questions get asked to you instead of the coordinators about why you're hiring these guys. Uh, Ryan Walters gave Graham Harrell a big deal. You know, three years, 2.9 million bucks. 
that's a big that's a big commitment. That's a big investment. That's the biggest Purdue's ever had in a coordinator by a wide margin. He's going to get a chance to fix this. Any position coaches moving on, you know, I don't know. Those can be sometimes hard to predict. Uh, I, those are pretty behind-the-scenes roles for the most part, with rare exceptions. I have no clue. The one change on the staff I think Purdue should look at making is hiring an actual special teams coach. Right now, it's just a, an analyst who's focusing on special teams. There is not one of the full-time you know, on-field position coaches that's working with special teams. That unit's been bad all year. The kicking's been bad. The punting's been bad. The return game has been mostly non-existent outside of the first couple of weeks. I think you need to focus on that a little bit more. But I don't think there's going to be a ton of turnover on the staff. I don't think you want a lot of turnover on the staff. If you're all in on Ryan Walters, if you're a believer that he's the guy for Purdue, then I don't know how you really, I don't know how Purdue would benefit from some massive upheaval on the staff. I don't think that would be a good look or a good sign. Last question here, and had a couple on this same topic. Uh, why the continued refusal to go under center in short yard situations? And then also, even with a depleted offensive line, is there no way to get half a yard? Uh, he also says he wishes people would quit blaming Graham Harrell for the offensive woes. When Ryan Walters says to hit Dion, and if they drop to cover two, throw it out of bounds, the QB throws an interception. How is that Harrell's fault? Uh, that second part of the question there is referring to the interception at the end of the first half. Ryan Walters had detailed in his postgame presser that the instruction was to Ryan Brown was, we're going to take a shot to Deion Burks down the sideline. If Northwestern drops into cover two, throw it out of bounds, move on. Presumably Purdue would run the ball out, you know, get to halftime at that point. Northwestern dropped to cover two, ball was intercepted. Um is what it is, you know, true freshman quarterback, that stuff's going to happen. In terms of the under center topic, I don't know if Purdue even has an under, under center package in the playbook outside of victory formation. Most of these air raid based teams do not go under center, like ever. That's just not something that air raid teams do a whole lot of. Um, you can have your thoughts on whether that's wise or not. I don't, I'm not a big fan of going at a shotgun in those spots, but I don't think that's Purdue's biggest issue. Whether you go at a shotgun or you go under center, if you don't have an offensive line that can get a push and Purdue doesn't, then you're in a tough spot, especially in the red zone when that field is condensed and you have the second and third levels of the defense closer to the ball than you do in other situations when you know the the field is there's more field to work with you have safeties deeper you have linebackers deeper there's more room to work you're getting that field condensed and while Purdue's running backs are very good they're not the run you overtype you know they're not uh, they're not Herschel Walker running you over out there. That's just not what Purdue has. So, you know, if Purdue uh, Purdue could opt to pass there, we saw that quite a bit in the Jeff Brom era. 
But right now, Purdue does not have guys at wide receiver or tight end that are the get open off the ball types where, you know, it's a quick move and he's open for a quick slant, a quick out, a quick curl. That's Purdue doesn't have the receivers that are really great at doing that. So you add all of that up and it's a problem. It's not an unfamiliar one for Purdue. Uh, the offensive line has struggled for you know, quite a while now, but you add all of that up, and that's why Purdue struggles. Now, the hard part is how to fix that, and we'll see what Purdue does in the offseason to, try to you know, try to get better in those spots, but you know, it absolutely has to be. Um, and we'll see. You know, maybe next year Purdue installs something if they don't ban the little tush-push move that we've seen take over the, the football world, which I think could get banned. But if it's not banned, then you know, maybe Purdue does that. I, I don't know. But, um, you know, all in all, uh, we got one week left in football season. I'm very sad that we only have one week left of a full college football Saturday. It is the best time of the year. It's coming to an end. But we are also entering one of the best weeks for sports in the calendar year because it's feast week of basketball leading into rivalry weekend of college football. And feast week is headlined by the Maui Invitational where Purdue basketball will tip off tomorrow at 5 p.m. I'm recording this on Sunday. It's 11.15 right now. So about 30 hours from now, Purdue gets started in the Maui Invitational against Gonzaga. What a great tournament. Um, you know, some of the basketball folks out there are calling this the best MTE ever. I can't think of one better off the top of my head. Five of the top 11 teams in this past week's AP poll are going to be out in Maui. If Purdue keeps winning, Purdue could play three of them. That's a fantastic opportunity for Purdue to really test itself against high-level competition. The results are important here. Um, Purdue wants to win as many games as possible. You know, this is kind of the year for Purdue with its continuity, with having Zach Eady, with the steps forward that Braden Smith is appearing to take. This is the year to really just rack up wins the way Purdue did last year, really. Um, just, you know, out of a much more surprising way. This is the year where you want to see Purdue really assert its dominance. This is going to give Purdue some great exposure to different styles of play. I don't think Purdue would love to win its third straight MTE. You know, it won at Mohegan Sun a couple years ago. It won out at the Phil Knight deal last year. But this season is about a lot more than winning an MTV and MTE in November for Purdue. So you're going to get some different styles of play here. You know, you look at this bracket and Purdue's got Gonzaga in the first game. That's going to be a much more, you know, open floor, up and down type of game. Uh, a little more one-on-one -on -one stuff, a little more ball screen and go stuff. Purdue gets past that. Then you face Tennessee, who is a slow, heavy on defense, methodical offense type of team. That would be two very different matchups in a span of 24 hours. Purdue falls to Gonzaga, then it probably gets Syracuse. That's a very different look, too. 
It's not the same, you know, two, three zone exclusive that uh, Jim Beheim played. Now Syracuse looks different under Red Autry, but still, um, that's a very different look than what Purdue would get against Gonzaga. One of the nice things here, and with MTEs in general, is it reflects that short turnaround you would get in the Big Ten tournament and in potential second round and Elite Eight games in the NCAA tournament. You know, those you have about 48 hours, this you have 24, but it's kind of the same feeling. You're not able to do the full, normal, deep dive scout that you would do for, you know, the Big Ten games when you have three or four days to prepare for each of them. Um, that's that's a positive for this team. You know, that's that's something that Purdue's going to have to face this year without a doubt in the Big Ten tournament, and you hope in the NCAA tournament as well. If Purdue wins this thing, it's it's a heck of an accomplishment. You know, you're going to get, if Purdue's going to win this thing, it's got to go through Gonzaga, likely Tennessee, and then likely either Kansas or Marquette. That's three really high-level teams. If you, if you win all three of those, my goodness, big-time stuff. But if Purdue doesn't, it's not the end of the world. Provides you some really high-level competition to compare yourself to. You will get some weaknesses exploited, whether you win or lose. You'll find things to work on. You'll find things to patch up. You got more high-level competition coming. You know, two weeks from now, Purdue opens up Big Ten play, Northwestern and Iowa, and then it gets Alabama and Arizona. It's, it's coming. Then you get a couple of bye games, and then you're into 18 straight Big Ten. So high-level competition is coming for Purdue. It passed the first test against Xavier, albeit not the biggest test because Xavier's not that great, but still um, going to be a great measuring stick for Purdue here and going to be a lot of fun to watch. But that's all I've got for today. I appreciate all you guys listening. I appreciate those of you who have stuck around throughout this football season. I know it hasn't been the results on the field that you wanted. I hope this podcast has made it a little bit more enjoyable. Uh, again, I'll be back later this week to talk about the bucket game and review whatever happens out in Maui. And then after the bucket game, we'll start looking ahead to what's next for Purdue as it goes from year one to year two under Ryan Walters, but be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Follow along on Twitter at Boilers Beyond and send me questions there or over email boilersandbeyondpod at gmail.com. Happy Thanksgiving to you all. I hope you enjoy some wonderful time with your family. I hope you enjoy a wonderful week of sports. And for those of you heading to West Lafayette for the bucket game, safe travels and enjoy the game. I'll talk to you guys later this week. Take care.